This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Hello and welcome. It's a real pleasure to be speaking to you today. My name's Liz, if you don't already know me, and I'm part of the staff team here at Seven Vineyard. I'm currently volunteering as our spiritual and emotional health coordinator. And it basically means my job is to help you find ways of growing spiritually and emotionally using the tools that we have. It's great, I love it. And I'm really passionate about seeing people grow in both their faith and their relationship with God. Today, I'm gonna be continuing our series on my favorite Jesus story. And mine is found in Luke 15, most often called the parable of the prodigal son. It's a really rich story with very many layers and I will only be scratching the surface of it today. The reason that this is my favourite Jesus story is that I see a compelling vision of who God is and the way that his kingdom works. And it's a vision based on what Jesus says, the one who knows both the Father and his kingdom best. Firstly, let me just give you some background as to why Jesus tells this story in the first place. So Jesus has been healing and teaching for a while now, and he's been gaining followers, fame, and lots of critics. Listening to this story, there are two groups of people mentioned. And in his book, the pastor and writer, Tim Keller, the book is called The Prodigal God, he describes these two groups as the moral insiders and the immoral outsiders, which is a really helpful definition as we go into this. The moral insiders consists of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, basically the Jewish religious elite. They knew the Jewish scriptures inside out and worked really hard to stay ceremonially clean before God. They were also responsible for making sure that the people kept themselves clean and pure before a holy God. And they had to make sure that the people were keeping all of the laws that were in place. Sinning was a big no-no. And they believed they could make themselves impure by simply being around the same area as people who'd sinned. Next up, the immoral outsiders. Now this group consists of sinners, tax collectors, uh, prostitutes, any non-Jewish people probably like you or me, so Gentiles, people with long-term health conditions, which included leprosy, um, the blind. There are a lot of people that were outsiders and the outsiders knew that they could not come close to God. They were uh, unable to enter the temple as they were considered unclean and they therefore they were excluded from much of parts of life with God. And the moral insiders loved to point out and constantly remind the outsiders just how unwelcome they were. It would have been hardwired into the outsiders that God did not welcome them. So in Luke 15 verses one to two, it says, many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns among the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them to come to him. So that's what's prompting Jesus to tell the prodigal son story. He's responding to grumbling from the religious people that he hangs out with the outsiders, with the sinners. Now, it's actually the last of three stories in a collection, 
all about something being lost, then it's found, and then there's great joy and celebration at it being found. The first thing that's lost is a sheep. The second thing that's lost is a coin. And both times, Jesus likens the celebration of it being found to the joy in heaven when a sinner repents. And the climax of the three stories is this prodigal son story. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So let me just pray for us before we start. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for you telling this story and for the way that it spoke to the listeners at the time and for the way that it speaks to us today. Holy Spirit, would you come, would you guide us into truth and would you show us who our Father in heaven is 
and how his kingdom really works. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, before we dive in, I just want to say that this passage is all about fathers and sons, and I'm going to be talking a lot about sonship and sons, but this does cover both God's um, daughters and his sons, both men and women. So when I talk about God's sons or I talk about sonship, I am including both men and women in this. I hope that that's okay. So firstly, the first thing that we see is that the way of the kingdom is that the lost are welcome. Jesus portrays the prodigal son as one of the worst kind of sinners in Jewish society. He disgraces his father and effectively wishes him dead by asking for his um, estate and money early. He leaves his father's land and goes and squanders it all in a Gentile country. He lives a debauched life full of sin and wild living, and he ends up living amongst the pigs. He is now completely broken, a complete disgrace, unclean, a sinful, broken man. There would have been no way back for him, and both sets of listeners, the insiders and the outsiders, would have known and felt that. So when Jesus tells of the father running, racing to welcome back the deeply rebellious wayward son, he is speaking directly to the sinners gathering around him. Jesus lovingly makes it clear that sinners are welcomed in God's presence in the same way the lost son is welcomed home. Jesus removes their shame, gladly welcomes them home with the father and heaven rejoices with a party. Sinners do not need to keep their distance from God because God comes to be with them through Jesus. The heart of the gospel is that the lost are always welcomed home with big lavish parties to celebrate. That's the way of the kingdom. But also the way of the kingdom is that elder brothers are welcomed in too. It would have been really easy for Jesus to say, um, Pharisees, no, you've got it wrong. You've got God wrong. Sinners are really welcome. Point made, story finished, done. I'm moving on. But Jesus doesn't do that. Through the elder brother story in the twist at the end, Jesus also includes and invites the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to whom the parable is actually addressed. We see that the elder brother becomes angry and refuses to come into his father's home. He doesn't think the wayward son deserves the grace and forgiveness offered to him. The brother then separates himself from his father and his brother, keeping his distance from the joy and celebrations. Jesus is exposing the heart of the moral insiders here and shatters their illusions as to who is in with God as to who God welcomes. The elder brother clearly doesn't get the grace of heaven, the same way that the Pharisees and teachers don't get it either. Their indignant attitude means they keep their distance from God. They are also lost sons far from their father. But, and importantly, this doesn't prevent them from being invited to join in. We see this when the father pleads for his eldest son to come in. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are invited in. They are welcome to come and take their place as sons alongside their father. 
the Catholic priest and writer Henri Nguyen said, everything Jesus is saying to you can be summarised in the words, know that you are welcome. By way of two brothers, we see that both sons are lost and alienated from their father. But Jesus makes it known that everyone is welcome because everyone is a precious son. This is the way of the kingdom, everyone welcomed in. And secondly, the way of the kingdom is family. It's about sons, not servants. Jesus sets the kingdom culture of family through fathers and sons. And we read in Hebrews 11, but to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. God now speaks in the language of sonship, of fatherhood and sons of family. And I think this is why Jesus makes this last lost story about fathers and sons. Jesus's purpose on earth is to see lost brothers returned home to his father. More simply, Jesus came to earth because God the father wants his family back. It's simple. From his comments, we see that the elder brother is living as a servant in his father's household. Jesus again exposes the reality of the Pharisees and teachers that they're doing exactly the same, living as servants and slaves in the kingdom, rather than living as sons. The father pleads with his son to come in, which is how the story ends. He doesn't have to stay outside like the servants do. The father asks and invites him to come in and celebrate, taking his rightful place as a son next to his dad at the party. But we don't see his response. It's quite the anticlimax to the end of these three stories. Similarly, we don't know how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law responded either. Will they stay in the field or are they going to come into the party? Are they servants or are they sons? Now, a servant can never be a son because he's a servant by nature. But it says in John 1 verse 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus gives us the right to become sons of God. He inaugurates an adoption program. And this is the way of the kingdom. It's about family and sonship. We are no longer servants, but sons of God and co-heirs with Jesus. We are sons who get to celebrate, not servants who stay in the field. And the next way of the kingdom being family is about belonging and not performing. Jesus also shows us that God wants sons who love him and work with him from love, not to earn his love. The younger son's plan is to work as a servant in his father's household. But in his love, the father chooses to forget his mistakes and happily welcomes him back home and restores him to his place as a son. We see an elder brother who is slaving away, feeling entitled and disgruntled. But in his love, the father ignores his son's bitter attitude and incorrect perception and invites him back to celebrate. Now, as somebody who is an achiever, I love to get stuff done. I like to make lists and then tick it off when I've done it. 
Um, and that sounds good, but this performance mentality often translates through to my relationship with God. I struggle with wanting to earn or perform for his love. And it's really easy for me to feel things like, oh, I've not been praying much today, or I've not read my Bible very much this week, or I've not even thought about God much today. So therefore, I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve to hear from him. And I can't expect him to answer my prayers. We get into cycles of coming close when we're behaving well, and then withdrawing from him when we feel we are behaving badly. None of this is good, it's really bad. This is a relationship based on performance, not on belonging and grace. The father's love for me is based on who he is as my father and who I am as his child, not what I've done or not done. So how do we move from thinking and behaving like servants to living life as sons? to belonging rather than performing or earning. So for me, I think regular time is the answer. Um, yeah, regular time with Jesus is the answer. Time spent with Jesus means I better understand who the father is and that I am his child, not his servant or slave. I better understand whose I am and therefore who I am. And this has become so important to me that when I wake up each day, before I get out of bed, before I touch my phone, before I look at the time, I pray this really simple prayer, repeating it several times often. And I simply pray, you are my father and I am your child. Let this truth define me and my day to day. I want to live as a son working in joyful partnership with my father in the family business of extending his kingdom. This prayer gets my head in the right place at the start of each day and you'd be so welcome to join me in praying this prayer every day too. Another thing you could do is join us on our course The Gold. It covers exactly this stuff, topics of belonging, sonship, performance as well as identity and living out your purpose. Have a look on our website for more information or just come and speak to me or my husband. The story of the prodigal son reminds me to live the kingdom way as a son of God rather than as a servant, knowing that I belong to him and that I don't need to perform for him. And now moving on to the way of the king himself, grace and forgiveness is the way of our king. Whilst the prodigal son is focused on his sin, the father is focused on embracing him, restoring him and setting up a party. In his mind, the father has already forgiven the prodigal son. The father focuses on showering him with undeserved grace, forgiveness, love and compassion. Like the younger brother, the elder brother is also very sin focused reminding his father that his brother has squandered the family wealth on prostitutes. Jesus puts it more kindly through the words of the father. He's much more gentle and diplomatic. He says, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Note the kindness and grace of Jesus in referring to the wayward son as simply lost rather than identifying him as a sinner. 
The father in the story reflects the grace and forgiveness of Jesus on earth and God in heaven. They are people focused through forgiveness and grace, not sin focused like we so often are. The way of grace and forgiveness certainly inspires me to be a better parent. Recently on my son's sixth birthday, he was really excited to receive his Harry Potter wand. Uh, he had wanted it for ages and was absolutely delighted to have it. I was in the bathroom getting their toothbrushes ready to do their teeth. And I heard the biggest, loudest crack sound ever. And I knew exactly what it was. The brand new wand had been jumped on and it was now broken. I rushed into the room, angrily shouted my son's name, Benaya! And I was ready to have a go at him for breaking his present within the first five minutes, literally five minutes of opening it. At first, I was focused on his mistake, the broken wand. But I saw him overwhelmed with tears and sadness and he was completely heartbroken. And my heart shifted, having been filled with compassion for him. He knew what he had done and he didn't need me to point out his mistake. And so I bit my tongue, restrained my frustration, and I hugged him and comforted him. Now, later on, we did talk about the importance of not leaving fragile things on the bed. But at that moment of heartbreak and sadness, he needed grace and forgiveness, and I needed to give it to him in spite of my frustration. Jesus's story reminds me to be grace and forgiveness focused, people-focused, not sin-focused, to offer grace and love, forgiveness and acceptance, rather than reacting angrily to my children's mistakes. So often in those moments of frustration, the image of the prodigal son being hugged by his father just flashes through my mind and it helps shift my heart and move me towards showing them my love and compassion rather than reacting angrily. And as I said, we later typically talk things through. I want to be like the father in Jesus's story to offer and show my children outrageous grace and forgiveness because that's the way of God. That's the way of my heavenly father. And finally, the way of the king, the way of God is a heart of deep and lavish love. Tozer, a famous theologian said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God and who he is shapes the way we live, the way we think, the way we love and the way we interact with him. In the story, we see an elder brother who is bitter towards his father, seeing him as his boss, a slave driver, a taskmaster type figure. He doesn't see him as a loving and generous father. And to be honest, he's being a bit like a spoiled, entitled child. Even so, his father gently reminds him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The father chooses to use the word technon in the Greek, which is much more like beloved, dearly loved son, uh, my chosen boy. He clearly loves his eldest son. He expresses that in that word, but the son just doesn't see that. His perception of his heavenly father is wrong. 
And so often our perception of our Heavenly Father is wrong too. I used to think God was intent on punishing me, watching to see when I made mistakes, quick to tell me off for getting things wrong. Deep down, I just felt like God didn't like me very much and was just putting up with me. But I got him so, so wrong. Now, God is watching me, not to tell me off, but to look out for the moment that I run and I turn back towards him. God is watching me simply because he loves me, he adores me and he delights in me. That's why he watches me. Jesus shows us a father who doesn't tell off um, either son for their behaviour or attitude. He doesn't line up punishment and consequences. He's not stood over his boys wagging his finger at them. Through the father and in Jesus, I see a God who isn't quick to punish and reprimand, but a God who is eager to forgive and who puts my sin far from his mind. Jesus shows me the depths of the father's extravagant love for me and reassures me of the care and love I can expect from him when I come close. His story reminds me that the father just wants his lost sons back because he dearly loves his children. And this is exactly why Jesus came. His mission was focused on making the father's deep and lavish love known to lost sons. He does this beautifully within the prodigal son story. My story is one of transformation through knowing in greater measure the love and acceptance of my Heavenly Father. I love this quote from Mish Watkins, who is from Seven Vineyard, and she wrote this recently for our focus on Psalm 139, as well as choosing the image that's on the screen now. Mish says that whatever we do, however we muck up, fail, despair, screw up, call it what you will, God is always there. He has our back, he loves us, and can't wait to throw his arms around us and protect us. I think that's a great, great way to describe the prodigal son story. God races towards me and he races towards you with open arms, wide, ready to welcome us, reinstate us as his children and have a great big party to celebrate. God doesn't begrudgingly forgive us. He's delighted and quick to forgive and happy to extend his mercy. He's overjoyed to have us back in the home. I love what I see of the way of the kingdom. It's inclusive and welcoming to all. It's about family and belonging. And I also love what I see of God the Father. He overflows with grace and forgiveness and he has a heart of lavish, extravagant, overwhelming and never-ending love for me and for you. For me, the picture Jesus paints of God the Father and his kingdom is compelling. Jesus is a masterful and creative storyteller, setting the scene beautifully and bringing truth, depth and reality through each of the characters portrayed. And that is why the prodigal son is my favourite Jesus story.